So I'm looking at this team. I'm, sometimes I, you want to scream out, give us back our, our words. Give us back those words that are ours. One of those words is Pentecostal. We are Pentecostal. We're not Pentecostal as a category or as those Pentecostal churches, but we are Pentecostal. Look at this hymn. We are fully Pentecostal. We believe in the spirit of Pentecost that still acts today, that still gives his church, that still inspires us and guides us both in life and death. And that's what this passage is all about. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit guiding his people in all their ways, and in particular in this missionary endeavor. We read in the book of Proverbs, not only in one of those verses, but in many, but one of, the, one of those verses says that the heart of man can make the plans. The heart of man can make the plans, but the answer of the tongue belongs to the Lord. Or the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And again, it's that that tension that we often see in Scripture, that it is up to us as moral and rational beings to plan our future actions and undertakings with much wisdom, with prudence, taking into consideration uh, all things, in particular the light of the Word of God. It is up to us to plan but this does not mean, however, that we will be able to carry those plans out as we set them in our hearts. Because we have a sovereign God who is sovereign above the, uh, of, over the heavens and the earth. We have one who, a God who determines all things in his wise, perfect providence for the good of his church, for the expansion of his kingdom for the promotion of his glory in the world. That, that's why in, in, uh, in James, in the book of James, which basically is uh, an expansion, a New Testament expansion on the book of Proverbs in many ways. That's why the book of James, he, James tells us that we should say, if the Lord wills, I will do this or that tomorrow. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Uh, uh, I was very, uh, I didn't understand uh, among Christian uh, brothers when I moved to, to the UK, this thing that usually shows up in emails and, and text messages, nowadays mostly on WhatsApp, among certain brethren, I would say usually among the older brethren, this DV that comes in at the end of every message. We don't have that in, in, uh, in, in Portugal. And I'm, I saw it once. I didn't make, take much notice. I saw it twice. But at some point, I saw it from a few different people. And, and I went, what, what does DV mean? And it's Latin. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. But it means, if the Lord wills. We should go back to using the, the DVs in both our messages, emails, and in, in our speech, if the Lord wills. 
If the Lord wills, next week I will be in, in, in the Netherlands. If the Lord wills, next week we will start our, our uh, leafleting and tracting in, uh, for the Easter service, if the Lord wills. The passage that we will consider today perfectly illustrates this sentiment or this biblical, not sentiment, this biblical teaching about the relationship between human decisions and the sovereign providence from God. And again, I need to remind you that just for context, and, uh, and often we need to be reminded of those great truths. The great theme of the book of Acts, the great theme of, the, uh, of this uh, biblical book written by Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit, is that the expansion of Christianity, the expansion of the kingdom of God into the world, was not a work of human beings. That's why I don't like calling it, and I'll say it again this week, I don't like calling it the Acts of the Apostles. Because the Apostles are not, the, are not the, the main focus of what's happening in this book. In fact, only two Apostles are uh, protagonists in some sense. The book of Acts is an inspired account of the spread of Christianity in the first decades of, of the Christian movement after Christ ascended into heaven and sat upon the throne. It is an inspired account of how the gospel of Christ, how the church of Christ, how the kingdom of Christ expands in the world by the acts and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ himself through his spirit using, yes, the apostles, especially but not exclusively. It was Jesus who completed the missionary agenda for the church. Jesus set out in the beginning of Acts, or we read in the beginning of, God's, of Acts, that Jesus said, first in, in Jerusalem, then in Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the world, until, until the, 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 the furthest corners of the world. That's how the gospel was to be spread. And it's the Lord Jesus, our, the King, by his spirit that brings this plan into fruition. It was by divine initiative that the gospel left Jerusalem. It was by divine initiative that gospel, the persecution came upon, uh, during the time of Stephen. And the church in Jerusalem uh, that was concentrated exclusive in Jerusalem had to flee to Judea and to Samaria. It was by the ministry of Philip, not an apostle, that uh, the gospel came to Samaria. It was by the ministry of those Christians that fled from Jerusalem that the church in Antioch, from which, which Paul was sent in, in these missionary journeys, it was through the work of the Spirit that that church was established. You read in Acts 13 that the Spirit came upon the church of Antioch and told them to set apart Paul and Barnabas. You come to Acts 15 when we, we had the Jerusalem Council to deal with the issue of circumcision. And it said that, that it pleased, it was good in the sight of the Holy Spirit that they should place no uh, other burden on, on the, our Gentile brethren. It was the Spirit that told them what to do. And this second missionary journey, despite the initial disagreement that happened between Paul and Barnabas that saw them go their separate ways, we see from verse 6 to verse 10 that again it is the Spirit that is at work. 
So this is not the acts of the apostles. This is the acts of the risen Christ. This is the acts of the spirit of Christ. And last week we reflected a little bit on on Paul and Silas, this new helper for for Paul, and how they, they came into those churches in Asia Minor, in what today is Turkey, and how they set apart and called Timothy to be a helper for Paul. We saw something of Paul's activities, and uh, we won't get into that to, uh, this morning. But today we will continue to consider this, this secondary, second missionary journey. Under the title of the Macedonian Call, we will look at the continuation of Paul's second missionary journey. And we will focus particularly on the work of the Spirit as they go. So it would be helpful, and I usually don't do this, but I, th- I found it helpful, helpful in my preparation as I studied this passage, because it has all these place names. It would be helpful if in your Bible you have those maps in the back, if you place a finger there. And if as I go say those names and, uh, and you want to look at that, at that map of Asia Minor, usually you will have a map that says or that speaks about Paul's missionary journeys, it would just be helpful for you to see the, the, the track. I think it's very helpful to have those maps in, in the back of our Bibles. When I was younger, they, they used to be a, a distraction uh, to not pay attention to the preacher. But nowadays, they are actually a help as we look at this passage. So just keep a finger there. I'm, I'm not going to tell you to look much, but... If you, if you hear me saying a name of a city and you want to see, visualize it, what's happening there, it's important to, to visualize it because the first readers of this, of this book, they would be familiar with these terms, with these regions. They wouldn't have needed to have those maps to help them. But for us to understand what Luke is saying to us here, it would be helpful for us to have it in our minds and in, our, in front of us. So... Having fulfilled uh, Paul, his original intention, Paul, as he starts the second missionary journey, his original intention was to go to those churches that he had already uh, helped plant or been used by the Spirit to plant, to strengthen the brethren, to promote the growth of these churches. So now Paul decides to move on, move on with his missionary journey and if you look at the map you have their Iconium you have their Lystra that's where Paul is and Paul is desiring to go on in his missionary journey and he first decides to move forward with uh, to move westward he desires to to go in uh, into the Roman province of Asia located between Galatia and the Aegean Sea the Greek Sea and he probably desired to pass or passed by Antioch of Pisidia. And he, he wanted to go forwards. He probably wanted to go to Colossae uh, through the Via Sebasti, uh, a Roman uh, road that was there, 150 miles away from Antioch. Uh, and probably from there, his desire, because that's how he usually uh, did it, uh, in other situations, his desire was probably to continue westward to Ephesus, the, the great city, again, 150 miles west of Colossae. This was probably his intention. But we read in verse 6 that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit from doing that. 
His plan was, I'll go westward, I'll go through these major cities, I'll, I'll get into those cities, I'll uh, start in the Jewish synagogues, as he usually did, and then he, he will expand in, inside of those cities, and Lord willing, uh, if the Lord is, uh, uh, is pleased, people will be saved and we will establish a church. And I'll leave them there for, as I go onwards, and maybe when I turn back, I'll pass them by and I'll continue the, to strengthen and to encourage them. That's how he did it in the first missionary journey. It was successful. I have no reason to believe that he uh, planned anything differently. We do not know why Paul was prevented, why Paul and Silas and Timothy now were prevented from, uh, from going westward. We just say they were forbidden by the Spirit. It is possible. Paul being an apostle, Silas being a, a New Testament prophet, it is possible that they received direct revelation. That they were told by the Spirit, do not go westward. That's a possibility. It is also possible that they just had a strong inner conviction that they were not to go there. It is also possible that something happened that is not recorded for us. Some adverse circumstance happened that they could not go in. However, the fact is that whether directly or indirectly, they were guided, as we are told, by the Holy Spirit to alter their initial plan of the trip. Instead of going to the region of Asia, and here Asia is not the continent. Continents were, <laughs> were not a thing back then, or were not uh, the regions called continents were... Uh, you wouldn't have the continent of Asia. This was a region in West, in West Turkey today. But for this reason, instead of traveling westwards, in a, if you're looking at the map, they now decide to go north. They, they decide to go towards the province of Bithynia. That's located in the top, uh, in the northwest of, of what is modern day Turkey, in the map there. It has the Black Sea to the top and he has they would pass through a region known as Mysia and they, their plan then changed let's go to Bithynia Bithynia had a, a great city called Nicaea uh, and we know that uh, that city is named from, the, from church history that because in 325 uh, AD a council of, of Christians met there and they produced a, a creed called the Nicene Creed. We also, as a point of interest, know from the first letter of Peter that Bithynia uh, had believers. The first letter of Peter addresses uh, the Bithynians as one of the, uh, the recipients of his letter. So there was, or there would be very quickly, the gospel preached in Bithynia. But again, however, that's the point that I'm trying to, to get to, as they are trying to get into Bithynia, we are told the Spirit did not permit them. They were again forbidden by the Spirit. So what do they do? They head northwest, they, they, they start circling over the north of Mysia, and they reach the port city of Troas. That's where we find ourselves uh, this uh, in this passage Troas was a fairly new founded city it had, was pro, uh, 
about 400 years old. It was located about 5 or 10 miles from the famous city of Troy. And Paul would yet come and visit Troy uh, at least a couple of other times, as it is recorded for us in the book of Acts. The great point, or the, the point as you look at the map that you see, is that Troas is a port city in the Aegean Sea, and on the other side of the Aegean Sea lies Macedonia, where the city of Philippi, the Roman colony, was located. So that's all the planning going out the window for Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, and probably... About this time, we're not told exactly when, but Luke is also joining in in, the, in, this, in this group. But the following verses, we are told that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And again, I assume that Paul's intentions now were to preach the gospel in Troas, start in the, the Jewish synagogue, expand it within the city, and probably then start making his way downwards in the coast in the, as he tries to get to Ephesus, the largest city, the capital of the region. And again, not God's plan, was it? And this would become clear. He saw a vision in the middle of the night, a Macedonian man standing, urging him, come and help us. And in the morning, they met. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. And I say Luke is present because now a small tidbit or, uh, uh, here in verse 10, you see that it goes from speaking in the third person. They met, they did this. They Actually, now it's talking in the first person plural. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, so Luke, the writer, is including himself in this part of the narrative. By now, he joined the group. So this band of brothers, Timothy, Paul, Silas, and Luke, considered the vision. And we are told that immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, again planning, again uh, a, a sort of planning, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel in to them and they probably went in the, in the next morning to the port to the port of the of that city starting to look for boats to cross to the other side and just as a side note they were not aware of what they were doing or the significance of what they were doing for them it was just crossing a sea going from one Roman province to the other, going from one region to the other, they were not aware of what they were about to do. In hindsight, we can see the, the, the significance of this event. Because as they cross the sea from Asia Minor to, to Macedonia, they come into Europe. And it is from Europe from our historical perspective, we know that they were crossing the border from Asian, the Asian continent to the European continent. And it is here that Christianity established uh, a strong uh, presence. And it was from here that Christianity, centuries later, uh, would continue to expand 
to the world to spread to other continents, to North America, to Latin America, to Africa, to, Oceania, to Australia, Oceania. Four centuries earlier, about the time that Troas, the city port that they were in, was founded, four centuries earlier, there was a man that made the crossing on the other, in the other direction. He was called Alexander, and because of his works, he became known as Alexander the Great. This Macedonian king, this, this great conqueror, he crossed the agency from Macedonia into Asia Minor to conquer the world from himself. And he did conquer a lot. Now Paul crosses from Asia Minor to Macedonia to conquer the world, not for himself, but to conquer the world for Christ. We are not told um, exactly how they came to the conclusion that God were, was calling them to go into Macedonia, but it, it does give us a sense that they analyzed, they concluded, they, they looked at the, at the various uh, facets of what had been happening to them. They pondered uh, probably how they had been prevented by the Holy Spirit to go westward, how they've been prevented by the Spirit to go uh, north into Bithynia, and, and they probably pondered all those factors in, and they, they reached the conclusion, they concluded themselves that the Lord was calling them to cross the sea, to continue the missionary work in Macedonia. This is context. Now let's go for some lessons. As the, the Puritans used to say, let's go from, for some applications, from some use, for some uses of this passage. We ha I have a, a few lessons here that I wish to highlight to you. The first is, I've already alluded to in the beginning, is that this passage teaches us that our God's sovereignty and that trusting in our God's sovereignty should not propel us, should not lead us into passivity. It should not lead us to think that we should not or we cannot plan things ahead. As an apostle, Paul had visions, probably many. Paul had many direct revelations from God. However, we see that the Apostle Paul, who received direct revelation from the Spirit so many times, he was not passive, he was not immobile, he was not uh, stale or, or stalled in his, in his seat, waiting for divine guidance. No, he, he had enough instruction. He was told that he was, going, that he was to preach the word to the Gentiles, and if the Lord did not tell him where to go, he would go. He would make the plans. He would take initiative. He would, uh, he would take the first step. He took initiative to revisit the churches that he had founded on the first trip. He proceeded westward, uh, and he was forbidden. He took initiative, I'll go north then. He was forbidden from going north, I'll go northwest then to Troas. He was taking initiative. Even though he was being hindered uh, throughout, he was not passive. He got a vision in, in, uh, in Troas and he took initiative. 
He, he, he planned, he, con he concluded. In our lives, we should be the same way. Even though we have a sovereign God, we are not to be passive and wait for God to, to bring us down a, a detailed uh, uh, report of what he wants us to do. We have enough revealed truth in scripture to know what he wants us to do. And we better do it. And if the Lord closes doors, and we'll talk, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more in a moment about this. But if the Lord closes doors, and then we take it as providence and we carry on doing his work. Planning in other ways. Submitting to his revealed will in scripture. We recognize that God can change our plans. And as he does, we are authorized. We are not only authorized, we are encouraged as rational and moral creatures to plan, to take initiative, to make decisions. Always, of course, in submission to God's will. If the Lord wills. DV, if, if the Lord wills that I do this, I'll do it. But I'll, I'll start doing it. And if the Lord closes the door, fine. I'll trust his providence. I'll trust his will. Again, the second point that this text makes to us is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over salvation. He sovereignly determines where and to whom the gospel should be preached. God sovereignly led Paul, not into the west, to, to Colossae, to Ephesus at this time, not into Bithynia, but, but he led Paul into Europe. And we, part of me, during this week, as I was preparing this, I, I, there was a mental exercise. Imagine how the world would be different. How our lives would be different. How, how, can you even imagine how different the, the world would have looked if the Lord had not directed Paul to come into Europe? If Paul had directed Paul, uh, if God had directed Paul to, to go into, into the Far East with the gospel. How different would our lives, would this world look? Because make no mistake, the prosperity, the peace and the freedoms, for the most part that we enjoy in this, in this region in the West... Our fruit of this one event in history. Make no mistake about it. This is probably one of the most significant events in the history of the continent of Europe. If not the most significant event. But I digress. God sovereignly. Not because the Macedonians were better... Not because the Macedonians deserved the gospel. Not because he foresaw some kind of, of willingness by the Macedonians to be helped. But because of, the, of his great mercy. He had mercy on them. He had mercy on whom he had mercy. And he had compassion on whom he had compassion. You see, it is Christ who has the key to open doors. And when he opens, no one can shut and it is Christ that has the key to shut doors. And when he shuts, no man can open. He has absolute authority. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the king sitting on the throne. It is he who rules over all things. 
And it is not like some Christian circle, some Christians in some circles say that Christ will one day rule over all things. Christ is ruling over all things right now. All authority has been given to him. Now will be given to him. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. He is on the throne. And here is a, an absolute, a clear example of his absolute sovereignty. He opened or he shut first and Paul was unable to go. He opened and Paul was able to go. Christ opens scriptures and opens his gospel to some, to the elect, and he shuts to others. You might say that is not fair. I'm sure there were many people in Bithynia that were not saved. I'm sure there were many people in Colossae that in this interregnum, while Paul is making this digression through Macedonia, that uh, died and they did not hear the gospel. They could have heard the gospel. That is not fair. Who are you to say to the potter, why is it that you do things like you do? What is the pot to say to the to the potter, why is it that you make things like that? The good shepherd opens the door for his sheep and shuts the doors against those who will not obey his voice. And this leads me to the third lesson, which is in, a, in some way related to the first and the second. And it is a, a question that we all ask ourselves. I remember being a, a young teenager, uh, uh, just uh, starting in the ways of the Lord. And one of the great questions, I don't know if that's your experience when you, uh, you, you first came to Christ, but I, I found it to, to happen in my case and in the case of many of my uh, young uh, brethren. How do you find the will of God? It's a, isn't that a question that we often find? There's numerous books written, thousands of books how to discover the will of God for my life. As it happens, as a teenager, you're trying to find uh, the will of God, who, who should I uh, uh, date and marry, and uh, those, what kind of job and profession. But as you go through life, you find yourself, what is the will of God? You get to a, to a decision uh, in your life, a, a decision point in your life, uh, a, a bifurcation of sorts, and you don't know whether to go left, whether to go right, whether to do this or whether to do that. And you go, what does the Lord want, Lord want me to do? Well, the Lord wants you to be faithful to his words, to obey his will. In this process, in Paul's situation, the Lord guided him. And the Lord does guide us, both personally, individually, and collectively as a church. But he guides us primarily through his word. So often I struggle when I see Christians, oh, I don't know if the Lord wants me to do this or not. Well, clearly the scripture tells you that it, that's his will. I don't know if the Lord is, uh, wants me to, 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 to take this job or not. Well, does this job involve you neglecting the things of the Lord? Well, prob 
probably doesn't want you to take that job. So many other things. I'm not going to get into particular examples, but if the Lord gives you the clear guidance, you don't need to ask what the will of God is. It's there. Take it. Obey it. We have scripture. Paul did not have scripture as we have it. In that sense, we're much more privileged than Paul. But again, as we make those decisions, we consider, we should consider, those providential hindrances, those doors that will not open, no matter how hard we push them. And we need to be really, really careful with those providential hindrances. Why do I say this? Let me give you an example. Jonah is a brilliant example of this. The prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. The Lord clearly told him, you go into Nineveh and you're going to preach to them. Jonah was having none of it, was he? He, he? he raced the other way. He fled the other way. Again, he didn't need any more revelation than that, but that's what he did. And why do I say we need to have care with the providences that come our way? He gets to the port. He finds a boat going exactly the way he wanted. I'm sure in his mind, well, I'm not sure, but I assume that in his mind he went, ooh, this is a proof that God wants me to, to take this. So, look, I wanted this boat. The boat is here. The Lord opened the door. That's, why the, that, that's, that's the Lord's providence for me. We need to be careful with those kind of providences. We may not, we may well reason that God might be guiding us to things when in fact we are disobeying the Lord's command. We may see the kind of, uh, we may see the kind of visions uh, Paul saw or hear literal voices speak to us, but the word of God in scripture is primary, takes precedence. God will never tell you to do something that it goes against his revealed will. And it's sad that I, that I need to remind us of this. But so often, well, I know the word of God says this, but I feel it in my heart. The Lord has told me, uh, the Lord wants me to, uh, I, I know, but, that's the, the usual way it's, it's phrased. I know that the word of God says that, but you're already in sin. God will not go against his word. So we can ask ourselves many questions. Or we can ask ourselves to, to discern, to conclude like the, the, this band of brothers did. What is the will of God? What does the word of God say about this desire in my heart? Does it help me to grow? Does it, does it help me to, to, is it expedient for me to do this? Am I just open to this and willing to do this because it is easier on me? It is the path of least attrition. Attrition. Am I open to it because it is easier? In fact, when I know that what is difficult is what God wants me to do. Carry your cross, right? You can ask those sort of questions. As rational, moral beings, we are called to use our reason, to discern things, to train up the powers of our discernment. 
And in fact, the Lord directs us through scriptures and many times through circumstances of life, like with Paul. We're hindered from going there. We are forbidden and we wanted to do this, but actually as we start doing it, we realize that it's an insurmountable task. We pray about it and we then have that clear sense that God is keeping us from doing those kind of things. And we obey him and we trust him. We trust his word, his providence, and we carry on trusting him. Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man plans the course, but the Lord determines his steps. Paul submitted to God's will. He was receptive to hear his voice. Though he had his own plans, though Paul had certainly his own plans all throughout this, this small passage, he always presented them to God. He was always willing to be diverted he was always submissive to him in his spirit come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such a city spend a year there buy and sell and make a profit whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life it is even a vapor again those those Themes coming from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It is, it is a vapor. It is vanity that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, James says to us, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Just as Paul was guided by God after a period of uncertainty, we too can trust that God will guide us and that those who are guided by the Lord will do and bring glory to his name we can trust that we have the spirit to guide us those who are led by the spirit of God Paul says to the Romans are sons of God we cannot however say how long time how long the time of uncertainty will last but we can trust him and let me just bring you a last uh, lesson here. I know we're short of time. Perhaps this is the most important uh, lesson for us today as the, the gathered assembly of the people of God in this, in this district, as a local church. This passage reminds us that we are the bulwark, the pillar of truth. This passage reminds us that our main mission in this world, our main calling in this world, is to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known, to promote his glory, to teach his people to keep all things that he has commanded. This man, or this vision, some, some commentators say that the vision is of, uh, uh, but this is a real man, I to me, as I read it, it seems like it's a vision of a man. It's not a real man. But this vision of a man says, come and help us. That is the call of the church. As we go out into the, to this district, wherever the Lord leads us, wherever the Lord closes doors and then leads us in other paths, the one thing that is always our call 
is to go out into the world, make disciples of all nations. The greatest need of the Macedonians was a spiritual need. The greatest need of the Macedonian people and of every people and nation and tribe and ethnic group is a spiritual need. The need for the gospel of salvation. The treasure, we're told in Corinthians, that was entrusted to us, the church. That is the fundamental and the only mission of the church. To preach the gospel. And God revealed the need to Paul, the, the need of the gospel in Macedonia. That is not to mean that there was a lesser need in uh, Asia, a lesser need in Bithynia. The whole world is lost and needs the gospel. The whole world is not lost and needs the Christian ministry of the gospel. But what we see in Paul's motivation here is a motivation that comes out of love. When the Lord told him this was that he was to go to Macedonia, the Lord showed him that it, this was no arbitrary pragmatical decision it is a plea come and help us I don't need to give you we don't need to see a vision of Battersea uh, of a Battersea uh, lad or, or, or girl in your night and this night saying come and help us in Battersea this district needs the gospel We need to be moved by the love of Christ, the same love of Christ that loved those who were lost, because he came to seek and save that which was lost. But there's a great promise here as well. There's a great promise for us. There's a certain promise of effectiveness in this, in this passage. We may not have the visions that Paul had. But we know that God has a purpose wherever he places every single Christian that he has saved. Like with Paul. The Paul, Paul was being directed and placed like a, a piece in a chessboard in a sense by God. God was hindering him here. Encouraging him there. To lead them to that place where he wanted the work to be done. It's the same thing with us brothers and sisters. It's the same thing with us. Wherever we find ourselves in this tomorrow, in this week to come, in a month's time, in a year's time, in, in, in ten years' time, be assured that God has placed you there. And with that providence, the Lord gives you the promise as well that he has placed you there for a reason, that, that he will bring his purposes to bear in, his, in your through you as an instrument. I'm not saying that God will give us an unhindered success. This is not, this is not, a, this is not a promise of uh, 
uniform success. That everywhere we go, we just find success upon success. But, but the promise is that wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves, we are assured that God has placed us there and that we are in his hands. Charles Simeon, and I'll close with this quote by Charles Simeon. He said that we are wherever we find, or we may, like the apostles, spread our net wide wherever we find ourselves. Toil all the night and catch nothing. But if our Lord instructs us where to cast the net, we may still hope. We may still hope to enclose a multitude of fishes. Because it is not our work. It is a work, again, of the Holy Spirit. It was true back then, it is true today. It is the Holy Spirit who calls men to preach Christ. It is also the Holy Spirit that prepares the hearts of those who hear, who prepares them to receive him. And we may just be planting, but the Lord will bring those who will water and the Lord will bring those who will harvest in due time. But we are to trust him and may the Lord grant us that firm desire and that firm resolution to trust him wherever he has